You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. You're the God who saves me 
Today we are in Psalm 88 in the series we've called Psalms, the Greatest Hits. And uh, this may or may not be one of the, well, I'll just say it like this. A couple of other commentators said, Psalm 88 may be one of the saddest psalms ever written. And somebody else said, Psalm 88 is in some ways one of the toughest or most embarrassing psalms to our faith because of what's confessed there. But before we get directly into the Psalms, I have a question for you. Have you ever taught somebody else how to pray? You ever taught somebody else how to pray? What did you tell them was important when they went to pray? What did they think about? What did you think about as you conveyed? Like if you want to talk to God, if you want to speak to God, how do you pray? Did you think about the content? How do, we, how do we talk to God? Pastor Jim, when he prayed earlier, one of the times he prayed earlier, he concluded with the Trinitarian blessing, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you include things like that? Do you have to include a, a sense of body posture? You're like, when you told your kids to pray or taught your kids how to pray, did you say, you know, bow your heads, fold your hands like this? A few years ago, um, we taught our kids to play, pray the Gloria Patre. Glory be to the Father and to the Son. We'd sing it, though. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Well, we try to do it like that, but then we had little kids, and we were at the dinner table. And Kyrie, she'd get, at the time, she had a pretty gravelly voice, so she'd be like, Glory be to the Father! A couple years later, we'd be at the dinner table, and we're like, okay, it's time to pray. And she'd be like, assume the position. And we're like, what? She's like, we are not praying until everybody has their hands here and their elbows up. Not praying until that's the way it is. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay, so we did it. But what do you think is important in prayer? In, uh, in, in all the scriptures, people have a sense of appropriateness or what's appropriate to pray. In the book of 1 Samuel... The priest Eli is in the tabernacle and he's watching people pray. And he sees this woman who's praying off to the side. And she's, her mouth is moving and she's sort of stumbling around. And, and Eli is convinced that there is somebody who's come to pray who is drunk. And so he goes up to Hannah and he says, you can't be in prayer and be drunk. Now, I don't. I've got to think all that through, all the other con con context of that through. I'm like, I don't, 
But anyway, Hannah says, don't be concerned about me being drunk in this moment. She said, my heart is weighed down, and I'm pouring out my heart to God for a son. Eli had a perception about what was appropriate to say in prayer, and he didn't find it in Hannah. And then he heard Hannah's heart. And he's like, pray, pray away. Jesus, in Luke 18, goes into the temple and he tells the, the people who are with him, his disciples, he said, There's, there were a couple of people who came in to pray. Watch them as they come into this place to pray, a place set aside for prayer. One guy was a Pharisee and the other guy was a tax collector. And the Pharisee went to a spot and he lifted up his hands and he said, God, I'm really glad you made me. <laughs> I'm really glad that I'm a good dude and you think highly of me. Isn't that a great day? And the tax collector, he goes off to the corner and he's like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, one of those guys walked out of that place right with God that day. And the other guy missed what prayer was about. We oftentimes, all of us, have a conception of what prayer is acceptable to pray. What prayer we can embark upon, how it ought to be done. I wonder what you think about this prayer. Hashtag of my wife that stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and a once in a while woman, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. Hi. You let me down. Oh, well, that's, that is my son, that he's, I tell you, ever since he was a little bitty boy, he sometimes talks to the Lord, and sometimes he yells at the Lord, and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. Well, could you tell him to talk a little softer or whatever, because people got to get their sleep into it. Do you know what time it is? Hello? Now I'm calling you, Jesus. Talk to Sonny. You don't talk to Sonny tonight, it seems like. Son, he's yelling at the Lord. Have you ever yelled at the Lord? Is it appropriate to yell at God? I want to read for us again the words from Psalm 88, the words that KJ so beautifully sung. And I want to read them slow. And however 
um, you get to a place of your imagination, how you get to that spot, whether it's closing your eyes or looking at a stained glass window or whatever it is, I just want you to put yourself as much as you can hear this voice so that it's not just the psalmist's voice, but maybe it's yours. The psalmist writes, O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now hear my prayer. Listen to my cry. For my life is full of troubles, and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They've left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave after wave, you have engulfed me. Interlude or Sila. You've driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift up my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Selah. Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? O Lord, I cry out to you. I will keep on pleading day by day. O Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your tears. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your tears have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness. Darkness is my closest friend. The psalmist is in many ways like Sonny. He's talking to God with a sense of brutal honesty. He recounts how day after day and night after night, he comes to the Lord. He's heard the phrase, like many of us, seek the Lord that he may be found. Well, he's seeking God with his whole being, with his whole heart. 
And yet as he seeks, it seems like the heavens are silent. The earth doesn't speak. The voice of God is distant. He recounts within that psalm about how everything that he's had that he's counted on, his strength, his friends, his companions, even God himself, seems to be taken away and voided. Some of you, you grew up listening to people like Simon and Garfunkel. And their song, Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend. When you hear the last line where the psalmist says, Darkness is my closest friend, it should almost pull a trigger inside of your mind. And that song should almost begin to play. The psalmist says, Lord, I've searched for you, but I cannot find you. My strength is gone. And the psalmist has this unique expectation that God would show up and show up in the present. It isn't enough for someone to come alongside of this person and say, you know, um, you're looking for resolution right now, but it might not come now. But maybe... Maybe in the heavenly realms, or maybe later in justice, things will, uh, uh, maybe later in history, things will be okay. The psalmist says, that's not enough. For the psalmist says, who gets to praise God when they go down to the pit? Is, who sings praises when you're in the grave? Nobody. So he says, God, I have this expectation. I have this desire that you'd show up right now where I'm at. Where are you at? I don't see you. I don't hear you. Have you ever been bold enough, courageous enough, strong enough, thought you could to pray a prayer like that? Have you been told, that's not appropriate. That's not respectable. We've got to trust God. We can't really tell God what we're thinking. Have you ever been in a place where it's like, oh, I feel like that down deep, but I know I've got to get to the place where I praise God. A couple of things about the psalmist, in this psalm at least. He never gets to the sense where he thinks he's got to put a smile on his face. He doesn't have to say, I think everything is going to be okay. Because he's quite unsure about that reality. He's willing, he's willing to say, I don't see anything but darkness right now. And there's one other thing about the psalmist. He keeps coming back to this moment, to this conversation. Did you pick up how he, in the middle of the psalm there are these selahs or these interludes, these places where there are gaps? It's like the psalmist isn't willing to say, you know what, I've seen God work, but I don't see God work right now, so I guess I'll leave God. No, 
The psalmist is like a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And even though the brother disagrees with you, they still love you. And they keep coming back and they keep having those conversations with you. The psalmist is like, God, I'm going to tell you how I'm thinking and I'm going to tell you what I'm feeling. When God doesn't answer, when God doesn't show up, the psalmist comes back with a similar complaint. And he says, I'm still here and I'm still feeling the same way. And I'm still thinking the same things. And then he waits and he listens. He waits for God to speak. But God in this moment, in this psalm, doesn't seem to speak. And so he comes back again. Here I am again. Is there anything other than darkness? I said to you early on that a number of people have looked at this psalm and they say, where is their hope? You know, most of us come to the Psalms and we come looking for hope. We come looking for a sense of reassurance. Like, we love the reality that the Lord is my shepherd and he leads us through, through tough waters, through, through those deep deserts. But where is the hope in this? Well, here are some things I think the psalmist would say to us. You can be honest with God. You can be honest so much that you don't have to have a filter with God. Most of us know that we have to have a filter with other people, don't we? Pastor Jim kind of laughs at me sometimes because he says, I don't have a filter for my face. And it's probably true. Although I don't ever really know what's coming out of my face. But he says with, with God, the psalmist says, we don't have to have a filter. You can express what's deep down. You can express the inexpressible that you can express that you would want to hold back from anybody else. You can express it to God. The psalmist encourages us with those interludes to be faithful, to show up. Not to give up on God, not to walk away, but to stay in the fight, if you will. To give God room to talk, to give, give God room to speak to us. But if God doesn't speak or we don't hear God, to keep coming back. Keep coming back to that place where we say, I'm still here. Jesus talked about a woman who sought justice. And she went to a judge, and the judge kept putting her off, and she kept coming back, and she kept seeking for justice, and the judge kept putting her off, and she kept coming back. And the judge said, finally, I'll give you justice. Jesus said, Jesus said, your heavenly father's like that. He's not unjust, but he sees us when we come back. When we come to him, he sees us. And he hears us. The psalmist keeps coming back. He keeps showing up. The psalmist takes us down where he says, the only thing I see is darkness. Darkness, for many of us, doesn't look very hopeful. 
And I don't know if there's hope in that final word. In the Hebrew, darkness is the last word of this psalm. Like, all I see is darkness. And yet I wonder, in my own mind, I wonder if the psalmist, as he looks into darkness, if he doesn't begin to wonder and think about the reality that it's in darkness that God speaks and he begins to create everything that is. It's in the darkness that God speaks and creates new things. Some people have suggested that this is the psalm that Jesus prays when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he looks, what he knows to be around the corner, he looks into a sense of darkness. And what does he pray? But take this cup from me. Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus himself may pray this psalm, not knowing what's ahead, but knowing like the psalmist, knowing like the rest of us as we read the first pages of Scripture, that it's in the darkness that God speaks and he begins to create. There's one other thing I think the psalmist helps us with. He sets, us, he sets before us a pattern. For there are times, friends, where maybe you and I need to pray our own prayer, like Psalm 88. Have you ever been in that place where the real honesty of your own heart is reflected in what the psalmist says? Have you ever put pen to paper or put your hands on a keyboard? Or have you ever gone out for a walk and prayed your own prayer like that? Last fall was maybe one of the toughest seasons of my own life. My brother died. And I had to have and I continue to have some real honest conversations with God. And the last place I wanted to be on Sunday morning was in church. But because I'm a pastor, it's like you have to be there, right? You have to show up. And it was December the 3rd, I think, that I almost, everything about my being just wanted to flee, just wanted to run away. It was a communion Sunday. And so I went home, and I put my hands on a keyboard, and I wrote a sense of my own psalm, and here's what I said. Chained to the altar, my heart that wants to go to flight. On the altar is the lamb that was slain. On the altar is the word become flesh. On the altar is God among us. Come to bear the suffering of the world, of my suffering. Come to bring healing for this broken heart. So I chain my heart that wants to flight. I keep it before its hope and healing.
Friends, I don't know what road you're on, where you're at in your journey with God. But it's okay to pray a prayer like Psalm 88. It's okay to write your own psalm. It's okay to be honest before God. 